Hello. Now, this is episode 279 and it's the third episode and the last one in my series with Steve Marskell from Rescom Building Products about Magnesium Oxide Board. Rescom Building Products, it was founded by Steve in 2009 and today it produces the world's number one ISO 8336 certified high-performance magnesia cement building products. Now, if you haven't listened to part one and part two of my conversation with Steve, make sure that you head back to episodes 277 and 278. There's also downloadable transcripts of those. You'll hear more about the benefits of magnesium oxide board, how to think about its applications, what you need to know about that. You know, make sure that you go and check out those episodes because there's a lot of detail about properly using the board and uh, making sure that you get the right right product for your purpose. Now in this episode, Steve and I, we dive down the rabbit hole of the negative information that you'll find out about magnesium oxide board the minute that you start researching it online. This is so worth listening to because it's going to arm you with some key information if you are wanting to use magnesium oxide board, let you make better judgments of yourself. You're also going to want to ensure that you're getting the best outcome for your project, you know, and choosing the best product and the installation methods as well. So I know this episode is going to be super helpful for you. If you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus uh, the links and resources that I share. You can find all of that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 279. That's the numbers 279. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect, and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. 
there is no hiding the fact that there is a lot of negative press out there about magnesium oxide board. So I wanted to get really frank with Steve because I, I knew this is what he's also contending with in his own business as he produces and he markets Rescom's building products. Steve dives headfirst into explaining the research behind these reports and the fine print that's really important to understand in more detail that then just doesn't get published and see the light of day. It's only when you dig deeper. And Steve then, he also shares his, his own testing and his third-party assessments that really do debunk these myths, especially when you actually and correctly specify and install the product. And you have to do that with any of the products that you're using to get the best from them. And it's really interesting to hear more information about this and what was done in some of those tests that doesn't actually stack against how you're supposed to use this board in reality. So now I've got a free PDF uh, transcript of this episode, plus links that you can access on some additional resources. You can find all of that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 279. Let's jump into this last part of my conversation with Steve from Rescom. What I want to dive into now is what will happen when homeowners dive into researching magnesium oxide board online is that they will generally get articles showing them the fact that it's been banned in Denmark since 2015 because of crying walls. They'll get told about corrosion of metal. They'll get told about it absorbing unacceptable levels of moisture, about making timber frames uh, mouldy. Um, they'll be They'll be told about magnesium oxide chloride versus magnesium oxide sulfate. Um, they'll be told that it doesn't perform well in high humidity environments. Um, so what I would love you to do, because I know that you've done a heck of a lot of counter interrogation into this information and just really diving into the details of a lot of these reports, how they were, how they were funded, how they were created. This is the thing is that I think that, you know, undercover architect community is a very clever and savvy community. And we know that in any industry, there are larger players uh, in operation who have deeper pockets. Um, that uh, means that we can't always trust all the information that we receive at face value. It's why the podcast exists, so that people get to know the terminology, they get to meet the people, they get to understand and dive into the detail of the kinds of things to really understand about products, materials, processes, so that they can ask the right questions, they can feel armed with that education when they do start to meet contention and uh, opposition when they're proposing certain ideas and things to the people that they're working with. Um, and so it is really tricky because we know that particularly in the board industry, there are some very large players who protect their competitive positions very fiercely. So I'm curious for you to talk through some of these challenges that I know homeowners will just confront and be concerned about as well. Uh, whenever I've brought up to other professionals, you know, have you looked at magnesium oxide board and they've said, oh, what about, I tried this out and we got, we got weeping walls. We got that crying walls issue. It attracted too much moisture. Um, and then it's like, well, what product did you actually use? Did it, was this mix? Was it this mix? Where did you get it from? Can you just start to unpack some of this stuff for homeowners and we'll pop you know, you've shared a lot of resources with me, so I'll definitely pop those onto the blog post for this podcast so that people can dive into it in more detail. But I'd love if you could really help homeowners understand the banning in Denmark and then just its performance in uh, high humidity and its water absorption, you know, all of that kind of stuff that I know that they'll be contending with. Okay, strap in. <laughs> <laughs> you got your... Close your door on the left-hand side. Do your you know, seat tray up, please. Seat tray up. Let's get going. We're ready to fly. Okay. Okay. Wow. 
wow, Amelia, you just gone to open one hell of a can of worms you Okay, so <laughs> the right person, I suspect. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's quite amazing, and you are right. There's a lot of uh, a lot of elements out there that um, uh, to suppress innovative materials and so forth. Let me let me get into a, a, a couple of things before the Denmark Sweden um, so-called debacle. Um, I'll let you know that I raised from uh, being the founder of uh, Magnesium Oxide Board Corporation originally was my company. And, um, you know, you talk about names and I thought that was a good name, but I always wondered why nobody else called their company that. And I found out everybody then thought I owned every magnesium oxide board in the world. So I, know I need a Coca-Cola brand. That's where Rescom came along. Okay. But, you know, I raised the red flags on installation, uh, correct installation of correct materials. And that's because of my building construction background as well. Okay. So, um, and when I like we started this podcast, I said there was no installation manuals, none of this, none of that, none of this. Well, I raised back to a, a company which is uh, quite uh, going to fall into this conversation we're about to have uh, that actually did my code compliance under Codemark originally. Uh, and I raised it then before they even went to a conference in Spain, um, before the Denmark thing came out. Um, and I said to them, look, when you're going to this, if you're talking about uh, magnesium boards and that, make sure you make it very evident that Rescom is saying that you should apply, especially on steel, um, a protective coating or layer to address the potential of um, dew point. I'll use the word dew point. Everybody usually knows what that is. You mentioned before, you know, uh, water goes onto steel and glass and it flows down and whatever else. It doesn't soak in and moisture. Well, steel, metal frame has a huge issue with dew point. Not just about the the lining, because there's a thing called grey lining then, okay? And everybody around the world knows what that is, where they get all of a sudden they're sitting in their home and they've got these grey lines down their plasterboard inside, usually in winter. In a steel framed oh, home. Yeah. Yeah. Because what it is is moisture coming from the steel and the cold through the steel through the drywall through the plasterboard. Okay. How you know so I wanted to be proactive in, in a lot of things because I, uh, we're going to cover a whole heap of things here, getting to the point, okay? Why did I say put a coating on the steel? I did this way before all of this stuff come out about rust and corrosion. I didn't do it because of rust and corrosion. Let me be very, very clear about that. I did it because there's a whole lot of benefits involved with light gauge construction of steel by utilising a protection on the steel. Okay, one to remove any of that that dew point between that and the coat, the, the finish that goes on it. Two, it gives better acoustic. Three, it gives better thermal as well. So air circulation, so that as well. Okay, and you know, it's it overall, the whole dynamics of the build science using that works. Now- When you say coating yes, on the steel, what do you mean? Oh, if it's not a firewall, it could be just a silicon. Yep. Um, you know, on you usually on the outside, you'll have a, a vapor barrier wrap. So that's basically a, a, a bridge, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. So that's a good thing. But on the inside, you don't. Okay. So that, that's using those uh, installation methods to do it. And I pointed that out to this uh, gentleman that went off to Spain. He came back and attacked our industry because it came up about Denmark, Sweden at that conference. So when they came back, I debunked the whole, I, I, I looked at this because uh, there was an attack made on my company and a couple of other companies in Australia by the certification body, which was outside their, their, their uh, uh, scope of what they should have been doing. They should have been impartial. 
So I started looking and as soon as I looked at the Denmark-Sweden report, I was shocked. And I, I encourage everybody to look at this, okay? Um, and I sent to you, Amelia, the undertakings of the arbitration ruling. And there was, there was four companies that supplied magnesium board up there. Uh, two were average and two were good. Uh, I don't, none of them were my company, but two were good and two were average. But under the arbitration, none of the four were found guilty of doing anything wrong. And that's a fair call. Uh, I can't be, uh, I can't be, uh, I have to be impartial. I can't call them bad or good. I can tell you that the wrong installation methods were used on the build construction full stop. Okay. So the wrong, so none of the four, none of the four magnesium oxide board companies were found liable, yet the product got banned. Yeah. They failed to tell you 12 months to 24 months prior to that in Denmark, they tried to ban fiber cement sheet. Right. They failed to tell you that, don't they? Why mm. do I know this is because I have an office of Rescom in Malmo in Sweden. Okay. It just happens to be Michael's dad works, works at the University of Lund. <laughs> it just happens to be the University of Lund that wrote the report. I sent a letter to University of Lund, as I told you, and they refused to talk to me because they're too scared to admit to the failures within their report, which I've given you a copy of. And yeah. you'll be able to put that online and it's got all the marks and the lines underneath it. Okay, so I debunked the thing as in basically, not as in debunked as defending uh, the other magnesium companies, but let's look at the built environment. So um, sitting here in Queens, in Queensland, in you know, Sunshine Coast, we don't have as big a, a moisture issue as Darwin and we don't have as big a moisture issue, believe it or not, as Victoria, because you guys have a different climate to us. Okay, we've got a pretty temperate here. So, but in Sweden, if we say pick on uh, uh, Melbourne in the middle of winter, why would you ever build a building and not have a moisture barrier wrap immediately behind your outside lining? Look at the picture. There's no moisture barrier wrap. Then look at the insulation in the cavity of the wall. It was a glass wall. We know in that cavity, you've got the fireplace going inside. Outside is minus 17, minus 20 degrees or whatever else. Inside, you've got a nice toasty 27, 28, 30 degrees for the fire. You have water in your cavity. You have water. In, it doesn't matter what lining you put there. Don't pick on just that magnesium. Why did they want to ban fibrous cement sheet? They wanted to ban it because of silicosis and because of mould and various different things as well. So. There was, a, there was a very easy target to be taken up there and they had to fall, find a fall guy or fall guy product, okay? The arbitrational ruling says that neither of the products were, were found at fault. You've got a copy of that, okay? But the, tech, the knowledge of the installation of the materials as in knowledge of how to install this material correctly um, was used as the main problematic point of the Denmark-Sweden uh, claims, okay? Well, I know for a fact that using our product globally, I can't speak for anybody else, but using our product globally, over 15 years, we've never had a problem, okay? So we, you look at the build systems and how they, okay, we're going to put a cladding on the outside of the wall, we're going to put back fix, then we're going to have a moisture barrier wrap, we might have a direct fixed and no ventilated facade system or whatever, um, how are we going to do that? And it all comes to correct construction methods. Now, when I looked all the way through the Denmark, Sweden, that bu those buildings were absolutely horribly constructed. Sure, there may have been some contributing to the badder products, but it was all the, when I looked at it, 
if you don't have the right HAVAC, e.g. ventilation system in your building, and you build an airtight building, what's going to happen if you don't have a good HAVAC system inside? Yeah, you'll end up getting moisture within the wall cavities and okay, degradation when, of building frame. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. Now, when the, the viewers listen to this or the, the people listening to this and you look at those reports, they're going to show you a photo of a windowsill with water on it. You've got an airtight building, warm inside, cold outside. What's going to happen? Yeah, condensation on the windows. Condensation on the window. Okay, yeah. rightio. Okay, so now here's a unique... Um, thing about magnesium board good quality magnesium board okay it breathes but it stops the water going all the way through it so what does that mean so eventually it absorbs enough water that it becomes on the surface like your skin and it can run down the outside but it stopped any mold and black mold growing within your cavity or you build up a, a, a dew point and condensation on your insulation inside your wall Okay, so it's actually stopped, especially when, when we talk about floods before, it can stop that ingress of water and that into the cavity and so forth. So you use the right insulation. So that I've always said in fire and uh, thermal and acoustics, one of the biggest elements that are not discussed in build construction is the importance of the insulation in your cavities. It's more important than my board. It's more important than anybody else's board. Okay, we need to we need to think about that. Okay, so yeah, when, we, I was just going to say we've talked on the podcast before about being able to do a woofy analysis of wall compositions so that people actually can predict where the dew point is going to be, and ensure that for their climate for every day of the year that that dew point's always happening external to the building wrap, external to the line of insulation, so that they can uh, ensure that there's an air cavity and a zone to be able to dry out any of that um, condensation so that it doesn't cause um, breakdown of building fabric and and that and mould and those kinds of things in the wall itself. Because I'm a, just a little guy that makes a board. Not many people listen to me on, on when I bring those other things up because they think, oh, he only makes magnesium board. You know, he doesn't know anything else about the build science. Well, I've, like I said before, I've had to become the doctor of the industry, even though <laughs> I do have a doctorate anyway. But the I can't save your life, but I can actually <laughs> run your business. Um, so, but the, the thing is that um, I, I actually try to be an advocate to everybody building to use uh, rigid rock wall in all perimeter walls and all bathroom walls. Um, that falls on deaf ears to a lot of people because it's not a cheap material to use in the first instance, but it is a cheap material in the holistic lifestyle of your home, okay, if that makes sense. So um, much, much better than using some of the other materials, but that's up to their choice. So, so going back to this, because I'll, you'll lead me down another path, uh, you know, we, we can do another podcast on if people like for that on different things. But Denmark, Sweden, uh, in a nutshell, uh, no installation manuals, not correctly applied. And really, when I looked at the fixtures and fittings, we talked about that before as well, if we're in a salt air zone. Has anybody been to Denmark and Sweden? You know how much water is around over there, guys? <laughs> why, would you put, why would you put a standard cheap $2 fixture and fitting, light fitting on the outside of a building? You're going to be replacing it you know, four times a year in Denmark and Sweden, okay? And so I, I looked at that and I go, hang on here, there's so much This wasn't fit for purpose. Here. Yeah, yeah there, it wasn't fit for purpose, but also the industry was having a great time. Yeah. 
so uh, let's go to the University of Sunshine Coast. Um, yes, because that's another report that you'll come across when you search well, online the for the stuff too. Well, they're the two reports that the consumers are going to come across, and the Australians are going to come across that, and they're going to go, oh, no, Sunshine Coast, there was rust and corrosion. Oh, dear, don't touch it. Well, get let me tell you, the certification body went out and took samples of other people's MGO board, including mine, out of the garbage bin off building sites that have been there up to six months. That's really controlled uh, sampling, really? isn't it? Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. 100%. I can show you Why didn't you the they just source them directly from the manufacturers and get no, a brand new board? Uh, no, there was an ulterior motive. Okay. <laughs> when you look at and and the and the people are going to have access to this. I I'm 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 up. up so front. does it actually say in the report that that's where they source the product from? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, also, also <laughs> a certification. Also a certification. But why do I know this? Because two pieces of my board was used. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So certification by and they took it off the building site and the builder said, "What are you going on my site taking stuff off to to the certification body?" Right. Okay. Now the certification body is supposed to be independent. Yes. They, we paid the money to certify us. Yes. And they're yeah. attacking us, okay? Yeah. But let's not worry. They sponsored the white paper at the university. Right. Excuse me? Yeah. They sponsored? Okay, right. It just gets worse. But I love all this word assumptions or maybe or it could have or it didn't or it might have or it would have. And they all at the other end, they have a disclaimers and that type of stuff. Well, there's one disclaimer they can't get away with. Okay, they attached pieces of magnesium boards to a piece of metal. Okay, I've sent you the picture of it, Amelia. Yeah. Share it with the people. I will. Now, I can share, I had to go in and I actually researched steel, manufacturing of steel, protection of steel, how it's all made. I've done the whole lot. I've had to learn the whole dynamics. Okay. So in your steel production and that, they tell you that when they produce the steel, you put it down, the pH levels, X, Y, Z, it'll rust in if it's anything below uh, a below seven pH level. Uh, that's why steel will get rust overnight if it were as soon as it's made. Then they take it in, they sandblast, and they put a, a protective coating on it, and then they give it to the consumer. Well, the university student doing the white paper thought it was great to sandblast, sandblast the protective coating off the steel that he then fixed the magnesium board to, then applied it into a saline environment, humid environment, and then blamed, tended to blame the magnesium boards for rusting and corroding the steel and the fixtures. Wow. Bravo. I yeah. love the university. Thank you. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. What well, was bound to fail, wasn't it? So, how um, can you? Because I know when I was looking at this online, there was a lot of talk of this magnesium chloride versus magnesium sulfate, one being better than the other. That it's the chloride that is the corrosive factor because it's the common factor between the Denmark boards and the you know all of that kind of stuff. There's a statement in the, the Sunshine Coast report that says that whilst the magnesium chloride board performs slightly worse than the magnesium sulfate board, that um, that they both were corrosive, you know, in that poorly performed experiment. How, what do homeowners need to understand about these composites and, and this language around the, the way that a magnesium oxide board might be made? Okay. It's like any cake. You put the wrong ingredients in it. It's not going to work, okay? And that's the same as the magnesium board, sulfate, silicate, phosphate, chloride, okay? I'm an advocate for magnesium chloride activated boards. Why? They've been around 45 years, okay? Uh, there's less than a handful of, of legitimate 
um, claims against magnesium sulfate boards, uh, magnesium chloride boards in the world, in the world. So I Googled the other day, just for the fun of it, how many lawsuits for FC? I think it was 7 million and something hits come up. Okay, so I did the same for magnesium board and I think it was like something like 2 million, 1 million 300 or something. Mm -hmm. When you look at that, all of those aren't claims, but it's huge. Okay, so, but when you come down to um, what I know and on my research of every element of magnesium boards around the world, the biggest claims, believe it or not, against sulfate boards. Okay. Didn't know that, did you? No. No. No, it's um, magnesium chloride that seems to have the big, the bad name when you search online. Yeah. There was a propaganda started, and I know nobody wants to talk about propaganda, okay, but, you know, big boys like to stop things. So the 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 uh, initial first propaganda I found or pushback against a magnesium uh, oxide board, which is a chloride board, just happened to be against a company that Owen made for me originally back those days. And it's come, I'll tell you straight up, it's a company called Dragon Board. Okay, they're in America. Um, they're they're Shuming Chu is the uh, was the owner of it. He's actually born in America, uh, educated at uh, Cambridge University. He started Dragon Board and so forth. Great, you know, good product back then. Wasn't good enough for where I wanted to be. Okay, okay. So, um, but long story short, they end up in a lawsuit in a build construction in New York City, um, and all the materials are called in. Uh, long story short. Neither Hardy or the Portland Cement or the Magnesium Board was felt found to be a claim, but the fibre cement sheet industry used it against the Magnesium Board industry without naming the board. And that document circulated all the way through to late 2016. And it may have had something to do with me talking in London, where I told the, the board industry that if they kept it up, there's now a company here that has a proof that it doesn't do what they said it does. So there, there's been a, an agenda all the way along. And it's not just this industry, it's other industries as well, okay? Uh, and when Denmark and Sweden came along, there, we, we actually looked at, going back on the history of, of, of Rescom, we actually looked at using, uh, changing our formulation, our binder formulation to sulfate back in 2010, okay? We found back then that it wouldn't bind, it didn't have the catalytic conversion or requirements to bind the formulation and mixture, the same as what the original formulation and patterns of sorrel cement is. And one of the biggest activators of sorrel cement was a magnesium chloride. So when the consumers are searching in magnesium, they're going to find all this stuff about sorrel cement and they're going to freak out and they go, oh, no, no, no. Look, we used to get around in a horse and cart, didn't we? Today we mm. get around in a car, okay? So things are evolved extensively and we've engineered the whole base, but our base starts with sorrel. That's why we're the only ISO 8336 certified magnesium cement board in the world. Rescom is the only one, Okay because we've evolved that and taken it. So when you look at the propaganda that started there, the sulfate board industry came in and they just got on that horse uh, with the, the Denmark, Sweden, and then the, the Sunshine Coast University. And I don't know how they done it. I really don't know how they got the spread they did around the world. But when your viewers start seeing um, the sulfate board pictures that I've given, that I've got here a link for you. They're on my website anyway, okay? 
and we've tested time and time and time again, where we've got people from all around the world send us their boards to test, their magnesium boards for us to test. We're not a testing laboratory, but we have our own laboratory, okay? So the, with that, it's amazing. It doesn't matter if I've tested five, 10 or 20 of them side by side to ResCom, they're at least 50% weaker than our product, at least 50% weaker. Okay, and then we're not looking at other elements and factors. And I've got a couple here on my thing. And they're actually, there's one of the reports called the Fact and Fiction actually has copies of all the, a lot of tests in there, of comparative side by side. So they're not as strong, but they, the sulfate boards got a great run on. They got a, a huge run on it, a lot of money behind them. Nobody, including myself, other than what we tested in a laboratory back into in our own laboratory in 2010 with proper humidity chambers, not garbage bins, okay. We knew then, and these are the pictures I've got, we knew then of the, the potential. So if I say salt, what does salt do with moisture? It absorbs it. It attracts it, doesn't it? Yeah. What's it do when it attracts enough moisture? It expands and it's got an incredible uh, amount of strength when it, it does. Is, it, it, grows like stalactites yeah so we proved that and we stayed with our formula and just involved in you know evolved our formula more and more and more to where we are today which is fantastic okay now we've seen over the years and there is a report which i have to be very careful about saying where it is but here in australia and there's 143 homes built in a building system and the product is cracking and falling to pieces. This is for some years now. I was called in as a professional expert to sample and report. And I actually have all of that in my stuff. I don't let it to the public necessarily, but it was a sulfate board. Okay. I've never seen it, you know, and it looked great. Like I said, you put them side by side, they look fantastic. You got to even make your mind up where you're going to go. You're going to go with the eight, nine-year-old non-proven material that has more problems than what's actually been supposedly told about the 45-year-old material. Yeah. Okay. You got to make that choice. Okay. So, but I can tell you from a magnesium chloride point of view, if it's the right material, the right certification, the right formulation of mixture, they can't compete. They can't compete with that. Um, one of the most uh, best known magnesium boards in the world that nobody knows or didn't know is a product called Promat. It's a magnesium board, but it's a magnesium silicate board. Okay. Okay. But it done very well. So the sulfate board got a run on it, used it, done very, very well. But now we've got pictures, and I had some pictures sent to me from New Zealand uh, some time ago. Uh, from one of our clients that was always getting bombarded. So he got three samples of the highest quality magnesium sulfate board that he thought that they were telling him. He had ResCom there already that he'd been putting in and out of water for 18 months trying to kill it, okay? He had put these three pieces in water and within three weeks they were growing stalactites and he put the ResCom in with it and sent me a picture of it. It's, it that's when you sit back and you go, what's happening in your cavity? Remember, we're talking about the moisture in the cavity. It's a hybrid, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Yep. So, but, you know, again, I'm glad there's listeners. I hope they haven't all hung up. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to listen anymore. But, you know, no, there'll yeah. be the, the data ninjas and the ones who love all of the nuts and bolts that will still be tuning in. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's the old saying, what you don't see, you don't care about. 
Yes. Okay. And then we go, hey, how come my, my, uh, my timber base plates rotted out? How come this, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a minefield. All I can say, I can encourage people, if you install our product and do it correctly, okay, then you won't have problems or you shouldn't have problems that, you know, and, and this is the case. I've done everything wrong to my board in my own buildings. I loved it. I've smashed it. Just I've to broken test it. it. Done it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really cool. I've been lucky enough to have some people come in, come to Queensland and and uh, you know send me a message. Say, hey, look, we want to. We've heard about you. We want to come and have a look. And you go, hey, drag them up to my place soon. What a cool house, eh? So, yeah, um, so now with the performance, because there there is a question around how it performs in high humidity areas. Is there anything that anybody needs to be aware of? in regards to where they might be locating it based on the relative humidity of where they live? Absolutely. Absolutely. That goes back to when I said before, we have a range of boards, and but the other companies don't. And they just go, hey, this board goes everywhere. Don't believe it. Yep. Don't believe it. You know, you just can't go and take a... Like if you, if you uh, went off to... Uh, our distribution uh, agents here in Australia and and just bought, uh, you know, a general purpose board and you're going to build in Bondi next to the water uh, and you're putting it all in exterior cladding, well, we wouldn't warrant you because at the end of the day, it's not the product for the outside application. Yeah. Okay. So if you're in a high moisture uh, environment, then, yeah, make sure you use, say, the PS5 or the highest level moisture rated board. Okay. Sorry about that. I thought I had my phone on do not disturb and it mustn't work. Okay. <laughs> I'm technologically disadvantaged on this side. I'm good on the magnesium side. Um, so, yeah, so just they're not all the same. So please be aware of that, okay? Not all, not one glove fits all. So let's just cover the humidity type thing because it's a great little discussion which I've given you some information on, Amelia. And it's mind-blowing, okay? For the listeners, you wouldn't believe this digging down to Denmark, Sweden, digging down to Australia, digging down to all of this stuff that's going on. Why did I do it? Because I wanted to know the facts. And number two, I didn't want to give my clients or my customers around the world the wrong information. And number two, if my product needed evolving more because of what I found out, we were going to evolve it, okay? So... This thing about relative humid, constant relative humidity above 84%, do not put a magnesium oxide board in. That's what they're telling us, aren't they? Yes. Lund University, University of Sunshine Coast, other people that are getting funded for their white papers because you've got funding, okay? Um, don't use a, a, a magnesium chloride board in greater than 84% relative humidity. Well, I sent a thing to Amelia showing her 29 years of relative humidity data for Australia. And Amelia, how many places in Australia in 29 years actually had above 84% humidity for a couple of hours? There was one. One. Yeah. One. Yeah. One. Do you believe that? <laughs> yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and we all know when the biggest humidity is, don't we? Of course we do. When we wake up in the morning. Yeah. The windscreen's wet. Yeah. Don't go to sleep on the grass without a cover over you because you're going to be wet. Okay. Yeah. So it was in the morning. And where was it at? Yeah. I can't recall. Where was it? Ballarat. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
29 years. Look how crazy I have to be. 29 years of data I went through. Yeah. And I highlighted all of the things yeah. as well, what this was. And there was one place in Australia that actually had in the early morning. So it's at nine o'clock in the morning at the top peak area for relative humidity. And then it dropped down to 54% in the afternoon top peak yeah. area at three o'clock. Okay, so that that was that was the level of in-depth I've gone into. And I asked the questions then of the authorities, please give me more data that shows me. And, and you look at the London report, you look at the Sunshine Coast University report, you look at what these people are saying, and they all got a little thing underneath saying at the extreme levels at 100 percent relative humidity well i did test at als global which you've got copies of as well that ran us out to 34 or 35 days but we tested at 100 percent relative humidity 24 hours a day and it took 34 to 35 days to for the our rescom to actually absorb the water enough to then let some water go okay now show me where you got relative humidity at 100 percent of the time the 34 days in the world yes yeah, there no. is no such thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. What about well, that's basically submerging your building materials in water for that period of time, isn't that's it? That's <laughs> right. And we know what that's like because they do that in Ireland to me in the the, the yeah. silt silt things that they're doing and the bird boxes under the bridges and that that they're doing. Yeah. So the reality of what we're talking about is again, let's come back to building science. If yeah. you build your home correctly and you have the right ventilated facade system, you have uh, the right uh, uh, act through, the right airflow through your home, you shouldn't be having a problem with this type of situation. So, you know, I, I because we're, we're based around the world, we're not just in Australia, um, I also did the same for the United Kingdom, okay? And, and when I sent this off to the authorities uh, in the United Kingdom, it, they were quite surprised to uh, realize that their relative humidity too, and that was from 2009 to, to, to 2020, I've got it in front of me now, uh, their mean relative humidity on an average yearly basis was 46% uh, in, in, uh, in summer and 76% in uh, winter. Right, yeah. That so was, their, that was their average. Yeah. So their mean. So it never got to above 84. See what I'm getting to? Yeah. So because they tell you, do not use a magnesium sulfate or, or sorry, a magnesium chlorate board in greater than 84 constant, constant relative humidity. There's no such thing. Yeah. So the it's laboratory, isn't it? the labo sorry, Amelia, the laboratories and the universities and those have done the industry at massive disfavor. Yeah. And I think this is the thing is that homeowners need to understand that Every material that's made has a material safety data sheet. It has installation requirements. It has warranty conditions that uh, determine where it's fit for purpose, in what climates, in what environments. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily dig into the detail. And I've seen builders not use materials in appropriate locations, not fix materials appropriately uh, according to manufacturer's specifications and and then void warranties for homeowners and homeowners are none the wiser until their building sort of starts to fall apart and then um, for many of them they just sort of pursue a repair process rather than trying to fix it under the defects liability period and and deal with builders insurance um, warranty insurance and all of those kinds of things and it's I think that 
in any case, you want to be ensuring that you've interrogated that the material that you're specifying is going to work in the climate and the environment that you're planning on subjecting it to. Because if you live in a coastal location, that's going to mean certain things about fixing details and metals yeah. and that kind of stuff. And the same thing in, in you know, far north Queensland and humid environments, tropical environments and those kinds of things, there will be specific materials that um, need to have particular applications. And uh, as we said before, you know, getting a woofy analysis done on any wall composition is a fantastic way to get real data analysis on where the condensation is going to occur, where that dew point is, and making sure that your building is going to perform the way that you anticipate and that you're not going to have problems with moistures, moisture condensing in the wall space. Of course, when you're in those warmer climates, it's about the moisture actually coming in more that's more significant than the moisture leaving the building. And then in those uh, more temperate and colder climates, it's the moisture leaving the, the, the vapor leaving the building that that is of, of the concern. So, I think um, what I love about you, Steve, is that you literally you seem like a dog with a bone who will not take uh, anything on face value, and have really dug into the details of it. And I think um, you know, in terms of the testing and those kinds of things, you've clearly been able to demonstrate. You know, how long did you say your business has been in operation for? 15 years now. Yeah. And you've got projects on the ground and seeing the performance of your product over time. We're in seven major continents around the world. So thousands of buildings now. You know, I wouldn't know. It's a little bit like Coca-Cola cans. <laughs> um, you know, from the Ritz Carlton, the five-star Ritz Carlton in Melbourne, uh, sorry, in, in sorry, in, in Perth, the new one there with all their protection, protection of columns and beams to you know, million dollar houses in uh, Miami, Florida and Key West and to homes and even bird boxes in the UK to silt, you know, in Ireland, they do silt traps that go down off the, the agricultural fields. They used to make them out of FC and, and different things and they fall, replace them three or four times a year. They make them out of rescon built into the, the catch the silt and the water in the creeks and they're still there two, three years later. So we've, we've been right through it. You know, it's, it's been an exciting journey and there's some things that you don't want to see or most manufacturers don't want to see. And I've got to put myself in the manufacturer's shoes, which I am. And, but it's so exciting when you get to talk to your guys and say, well, bloody hell, I would never warrant that if you're going to damn bury it in the ground and use it as a silt thing. And now I don't know if there's anybody with birds, but um, I didn't know that our distribution agent in Ireland, he is selling thousands of, he make, you know, swift birds. They're the fastest flying little birds right. in the world. Yep. They make bird boxes because they have to be non-allergenic and special bird boxes for these swifts. They make them out of rescom. <laughs> they're, they're hanging off buildings all over Europe. He's just shipped out a couple of big containers down to UAE, um, and now they're also making, you know, barn owls, like yes, they're making barn owl boxes out of reds. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Okay. That's so awesome. it's things. So there's not just us people living in a house that yep. have res gone. Now we have the birds in the house. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's been exciting. Like in, in America um, was some of the most uh, evolved construction used with rescon because like i mentioned before earlier in the conversation with a guy by the name of jerry gilman in an over panel in in florida jerry really pushed me to the limits you know he was trying to use this new magnesia cement board the way that it's never been used before um, and 
expecting the same results you got with uh, with OSB or Strandboard and, and so forth in a panelized construction. Well, as we evolved over the years, like you wouldn't believe we can do, he's been doing structural insulated panels, okay, with ResCom either side that withstand impact. So EPS core, you and I can lift and build a house that can withstand impact up to 300 kilometers an hour. Wow. Bounce the two before bounces off. Okay. Wow. So then when the new code of the Miami Day code changed to 220 mile an hour, which is 398 kilometers an hour, he passed that as well by using 14 mil rescon board either side of his panels. You know, okay. when you look through there since 2012, every hurricane that's hit that east coast all the way to Key West and the islands and so forth, not one of the buildings has been damaged. That's I'm pretty proud of that. You know, yeah, we're, we're just a shirt, but okay. We're just <laughs> we're, once you paint it, you don't see us. Yeah. <laughs> now, can I ask you, Steve, can homeowners buy directly from ResCom? Do they need to go through their builder? How do they go about specifying it in their projects? Well, at the, what we've done now over the years is uh, build our distribution network. So uh, there's a company called Intex, I-N-T-E-X.com, uh, .au. And Intex is uh, main offices in Melbourne. Uh, they have uh, warehouses in Melbourne, uh, Sydney, Brisbane. Um, so they're your main, the, the house here on the East Coast area. Um, so you can get bored from there um, and they handle everything from screws to the board insulation because we also do uh, rock wall insulation as well through ResCom as well. And then over on the West Coast, uh, you've got um, Building Supplies WA, WA Direct, they're all our group over there. So there's about three or four outlets over there. Okay. Um, and for any overseas listeners? Overseas for our overseas visitors in America, just go onto our website at www.rescombp, so rescombp.com, and you can link up straight up and get the contact number for America, Ireland, UK, UAE, here in Australia, the different ones as well. So um, we'll we'll have most of that done. Now, with awesome. the, if there's any bigger developers and that type of stuff, they can they can buy direct through contacting us direct through national deals. Um, they don't have to go through the wholesale thing, but the mainly in Texas are looking after the things now for the East Coast and then um, across on WA, then the rest of the world's good. Fantastic. Well, Steve, thank you so much for all of the information that you've provided in our much longer than anticipated conversation. I'm very glad that you didn't have a hard stop on the end and that we could really dive into this detail and that I could take up so much of your time. You've been very generous and uh, given us a lot of insight into how homeowners need to think about this product, interrogate it, and just generally interrogate the information that's available in the industry. As we said up front, the construction industry is like any other pharmaceutical, the food industry. You know, we are learning over time as consumers that we really need to interrogate what we're being told in a lot more detail to actually dig to the bottom of what might be driving the information that we're receiving. And so it's been fantastic to be able to tap into your wisdom and knowledge uh, in this. And so I'm going to pop a lot of information into the resources for this um, for this podcast. I think this is going to be a few episodes. So um, make sure you check that out in the show notes. Um, Steve's shared a lot of data with me, a lot of reports and things like that. So I'll make sure that that's all there. And yeah, thank you so much for your time, Steve. I really appreciate it. Amelia, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope um, everybody's got a lot out of it. And um, hopefully you welcome me back because there's so many other things to discuss. It's, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Amelia. Awesome.
And that's it for part three and the last episode in my conversation with Steve Marskell from Rescom Building Products. A massive thank you to Steve because he generously shared so much knowledge and expertise in this area and he spent a lot of time with me taking through all of this in, you know, all of us in this detail, uh, much more time than I had originally booked with him. So I was really grateful that we could just really jump into it the nuts and bolts of it all. Now, I've got loads of resources for these three episodes. I've got links where you can find Rescom. I've got the videos that Steve shared with me, other helpful information for you. Of course, Steve himself on his website has loads of data, uh, background information, testing and all of those kinds of things. If you want to dive into that in more detail, make sure you check out the Rescom's website. Um, It does really share a lot of the the detail and the nuts and bolts of all of the the information that really does demonstrate how this product compares to other magnesium oxide boards on the market as well as uh, some of the the claims that are made against it. I really do hope that that spending this time going through this information has given you a really comprehensive picture of magnesium oxide boards so you know what it's about and you can make a better informed decision about potentially using it in your project. And I've got, as I've said, free PDF transcript of this episode plus episodes 277 and 278. They're also available. Uh, All of the links that you um, need to access information about ResCom and the videos, you can find all of that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 279. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time. Thank you.